0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church, located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, real quick here, before we get into the Word, there's a couple of things I want to do this morning. Uh, But before that, I want to just mention Jeff Collins will be here next week. Men, Jeff will be speaking at the prayer breakfast, or... Well, men's breakfast, let's face it, we're not doing a lot of praying, we're eating. Uh, but there is teaching, and so Jeff's gonna be sharing, uh, and so men, make it out, be good food, good fellowship, good word, uh, Jeff is an amazing man of God. I met Jeff years ago, I'd heard of Jeff, uh, but I was out at Reading, out of out Bethel, with Papa Jack, Jack had gone out there to, Jack Taylor had gone out there to honor Bill, Uh, Johnson and I said, "Hey, can I tag along?" And uh, because when you go with Jack, you get you get the best parking place, seats of honor, all these private meetings, you know. So I'm just like the mouse in the elephant's ear. Aren't we shaking this bridge, Jack? You know. And uh, so I asked if we. So we ended up a big group of us ended up going, and uh, we were driving through the mountains, and there was a gentleman in the back seat. I didn't know who he was at the time. His name's Ricky Paris. Uh, and Ricky is one of the lead guys in a network that Bob Phillips used to be a part of and uh, someone mentioned Jeff Collins and I said oh someone told me I ought to have him in and Ricky looked at me and said I would travel the world to carry that man's briefcase dialed him up and handed me the phone I said uh hi and that's how Jeff and I met and uh, Jeff is a, uh, is a holy ghost man travels the world globe trotting has for many many years and uh Interestingly enough, I've, I've got friends throughout Nebraska, and if you go into central Nebraska, there are churches all through that area, cross-denominational lines that they're just, they all fellowship together because back in the 90s, Jeff went through there with the fires of revival, and revival just burned all through that place, and it was Jeff, Methodist churches, Open Bible churches, AG churches, Lutheran Methodist. It was just an amazing move of God, and so Jeff's going to be with us, and uh, he'll be with us Sunday morning, and uh, I'm going to take him down to our Otumwa church on Saturday night, so we're just going to farm him out and go all over and, and uh, have a good time. And Jeff's got the most wonderful stories of God moving. I just love to get around people with stories. Uh, I had a Bible school professor who, who used to say, you can't really preach until you can say, I remember the time When? And uh, you've got to have some experience in God, and Jeff has a lot of it. He was telling me one time about a, a church he was in in France. They were about to lose their building, a little, little tiny congregation, about ready to lose their building. And Jeff preached and just, he said, a spirit of generosity entered the room. And uh, so they, they took up an offering. This offering went, if I'm not mistaken, like four to six hours, the offering. And, yeah, I mean, people were going home getting things. Uh, People were giving rings and watches. And when it was all said and done, they counted the offering, and it was $77,777.77. And uh, paid off the church's debt, and uh, suffice it to say, they were encouraged. So Jeff just has some crazy stories. So I want to encourage you, be out. Men, come out for the prayer breakfast or the, the men's breakfast, and it's going to be good. All right, we want to get into the Word this morning, and I do want to pray for people at the end. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to preach long. <laughs> I always wait for the laugh. Uh, I'm not going to preach long. I really am not. I want to pray for people. I want to give some room for that. We, wanna, we want to... Uh, be we want to honor the children's workers and not keep them till one o'clock uh when that happens uh we're gonna we're gonna go with the spirit of god but we want to be uh we want to plan for those things and so i'm going to bring people forward here in a few minutes uh i always i always laugh when you read the the uh the christmas story it says both elizabeth and mary when they were delivered it wasn't that they delivered a child they were delivered and uh Having been married to a woman who gave birth to seven of my children, I understand what that means. The baby didn't need delivered, the mama did. And so sometimes the children's workers need deliverance So, from our kids, so we're going to keep this short. All right, you're all looking at me like, just get on with it, Pastor. Uh, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 37. Uh, let's pray. Father. We thank you, God, for your word this morning. We thank you for all that you've done thus far. Lord, I thank you for this congregation, this company of people, Lord, that you've brought together to run together after you. We thank you for the corporate assignments that you've given unto us. Lord, help us. Lord, as a people, we want to hear at the end of the age, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, Lord, we ask that you'd equip us and empower us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As a side note, you know that uh, there is there's such a thing in Scripture as corporate accountability. Uh, Jesus alludes to the fact that he will say this to cities. Uh, he will say this to generations. He will, he will judge cities and judge generations, and they will give an answer to God. I don't know what that looks like, but it's very intriguing to me. That we don't merely give an answer for our own individual lives. That's our primary stewardship. Everything God put within us, the things He intended for us, we will give an answer for that. Not for what we did uh, necessarily, but what we were supposed to do. That's what we're gonna give an answer for. If you're a very successful plumber, but you were supposed to be something else, you're gonna give an answer for that. So we need to, that's why Paul says, Know the will of the Lord. Time is short, know the will of the Lord. He's saying that we've got one shot at this thing. Do God's will and know the will of the Lord. But in in Matthew, I want to say it's chapter 11 and 12. He says, in that day, Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up against this city and bear witness against it. He also talks about that happening with a generation. And so in some fashion, some form, we are going to give an answer for the corporate responsibility that we have for our city for our generation and we need to take that very seriously because those those things the the location that we live the time in which we live are parameters to our calling, to, to what we will steward, and, and uh, God's going to call us to account for that. So uh, those are very serious things. Now, we, last week we got into something I didn't intend to, and I'm going to continue with it. This week I'm going to intend to, because I was telling someone, I just kind of followed the oil and got into some things I didn't intend to get into. We began to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we were talking about how the baptism in the Holy Spirit, one dimension of that, that is often not talked about Is that it's through the baptism in the Holy Spirit that our place in the body of Christ is awakened. We become aware of our place in the body because 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, We are all baptized in one spirit into one body. And a lot of people look at that as salvation because it's saying you're being baptized into the body. That must be when you get saved. But that is not the case. Because we have this hermeneutical law, okay? Hermeneutics is the, the science of literary interpretation, often utilized, usually when people are talking about hermeneutics, it's talking about biblical interpretation, but it's really applied to all literature. You, there's, one of the primary laws of biblical interpretation is this. It's called the law of first mention. The first time a concept is mentioned, it's crystallized. Its definition is set. Now, there may be a building upon that definition, but you always have to keep in mind the original mention, the first mention. It's called the law of first mention. The first time we see this idea of baptism is John the Baptist, the baptizer, baptism. And he he says, what I do in water, the one coming after me, The one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He's talking about Jesus, his cousin. He said, the one coming after me will do with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's saying, I do this with water. He's going to do it with the Spirit. So understand what I'm doing with water, and it will give you insight into what he's going to do with the Spirit. He's, He's comparing these two. He's really utilizing a parable or an analogy. Parable teaching by parable is really teaching by analogy. The word means to throw alongside and it's because we don't understand the spiritual. We don't understand the kingdom of God. The ways of God are higher than our ways so God graciously throws the physical alongside the spiritual and if we study the physical we can get insight into the spiritual. And John is actually doing this with baptism. He said, look, what I do with water I'm going to take you in the river and I'm going to dunk you under the water and you're going to come up saturated Dripping. It's going to be. It's going to. It's going to ruin your hairdo. It's going to be dripping off of you. You are soaked to the bone with water. That's what he's going to do with the Holy Ghost and fire. Jesus restates that in the first chapter of Acts. He said, uh, "Well, Luke talks about. He, he says Jesus said. Jesus reminded us that what John did with water, he was going to do with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit." And so we have this analogy. And so when we understand baptism, spirit baptism cannot be understood apart from water baptism. In fact, in in Acts chapter 19, when Paul, we talked about it last week, arrived in Ephesus Ephesus, and runs into those disciples he said, hey, did you guys receive the spirit since you believed? It begs the question, why did he ask that? What did he see or not see that elicited that question? And then it begs the question: would people do people wonder that about me? Wow, did he receive the spirit since he believed? (laughs) And the fact is, Paul wouldn't ask that question if it wasn't possible that it would happen. And in Acts 19, when they said we didn't even know there was a spirit. Paul began, he said, well, what baptism did you receive? He talked to them about their water baptism. They said, we only received the baptism of John. And Paul said, well, that's a baptism of repentance. And he introduced to them the baptism into his death, the Roman 6 baptism, the Christian baptism. And then he laid hands on them. The Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. But you see how their spirit baptism was connected to their water baptism. That's our great example. Jesus went down in the water, came up, and the spirit came upon him. The going down in the water was his burial. His death and burial coming up out of the water was the resurrection. And it's a picture for you and I. We are crucified in Christ. Water baptism is us saying, yeah, Lord, I agree. That old guy needed to die. And matter of fact, let's bury him. Let's leave that old man under the watery grave, and we come up in newness of life, and like Jesus, we are to be led of the Spirit from then on out. And so there's this beautiful picture that Jesus gave us. Now, it's clear in Acts 19, a lot of people will say, well, they weren't believers. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. No, because Acts 18 explicitly says, Apollos was learned in the scriptures, and he was teaching the scriptures in Ephesus, but he only knew of the baptism of John. That's why it mentions that. It's not just a coincidence. And then Priscilla and Aquila... Uh, find Apollos, and they start teaching him. Hey, you need to know about the Spirit. There, there was more. This learned man of God who knew the Scriptures. There was more, and I'm here to tell you this morning. There's more. I don't care what you know. There's always more because He's infinite, and we're finite. So get hungry and get ready, okay? Because we're going to pray for people. So Paul then comes and intercepts these guys, and it says he met some disciples and said, did you receive the Spirit since you believed? It's obviously an allusion. He's alluding to the disciples of Apollos. They had a partial discipleship. Paul was coming in and teaching them and laid hands on them and they received. And so we see this picture. Water baptism is an analogy for spirit baptism. Baptism has a formula in Scripture. It's always in a substance, into an experience, and it's always after the fact. What do I mean by that? It's always in a substance, water or spirit, into an experience. You're either baptized into repentance by John, you're baptized into Christ's death in Romans 6 and Christian baptism, and you're baptized into the body of Christ in spirit baptism. So there's this formula set in Scripture. Scripture. But lest we think this is salvation when we're baptized into his death, we need to realize, going back to the original mention, John refused to baptize people into repentance unless they were repentant. Matter of fact, guys came to him and said, hey, baptize us too. He said, no way. Bring The King James Version says it this way. Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. He's saying, I want to, want you say and I want to see it in your life before I seal it with baptism. Wow. So baptism is always something after the fact it's an external validation of an internal reality, and it seals the deal, okay that's what baptism is. So in keeping with that origi- that first mention, that original picture, then we take that. With good hermeneutical science, we take that to spirit baptism, apply it to this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. We are baptized in the spirit, that's the substance we come up dripping with him, into the body of Christ. But just like we don't water baptize people in water until they're in Christ, and John wouldn't baptize them into repentance unless they were repentant, Jesus doesn't baptize people into the body of Christ unless they already are. You gotta be saved. So then we go to Acts And in the book of Acts, there are five different uh, examples of somebody being baptized in the Spirit, groups of people being baptized in the Spirit. Five, there's Acts chapter 2, 8, 9, 10, and 19, the one we just mentioned. So there's 2, 8, 9, 10, and 19. Now, there are people that will tell you, and often it's people that don't want to get into the experiential side of Christianity. They just want to have it an intellectual exercise. They'll say, you should never get your doctrine from a narrative passage. Saying that you should never derive any doctrine from the Gospels, the book of Acts, and frankly, much of the Old Testament. The problem with that, one of the books they say you should be able to get doctrine from tells us all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for Doctrine. And so, if I'm going to get my doctrine from those other books, it opens the door for me to get doctrine from these other books. And so, these narrative passages are very, very valuable to us to see what the scripture is really teaching. And so, Acts chapter 2, the disciples already know Jesus, they're believers. Matter of fact, in John 20, Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. They're in, this is after the resurrection, but before the ascension, but before he goes up in the ascension, he tells them it, different translations say it in different ways. He orders them. He commands them. What he's saying is, guys, don't even think about ministry until you have received, and he has this beautiful little phrase that refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Until you have received the promise of the Father. And then they said, but Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? He said, it's not up to you to know the times or dates. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's like he's, he's getting, they're wanting to get into eschatology. And he's saying, hey, push that aside. You need power. They're asking a question that he just kind of brushes aside. And gets back to what he was telling him: You need power for ministry. In Acts chapter two. Now, that's in Acts chapter one. Acts chapter two, uh, they're were, they were waiting on the Lord 40 days from the, the crucifixion is the day of Pentecost uh, where the analogy of uh, the deliverance, the Passover from Passover where Jesus died 40 days later. Uh, in the Old Testament was the giving of the law. In the New Testament, it's the celebration of Pentecost and we receive the internal spirit We're not, we don't live according to the law, we live according to the Spirit. He wrote the law in our heart, and we live by the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There's all this analogy in there that we don't have time to get into. It's a beautiful thing, okay? So, Acts chapter 2, they're already believers, they've received the Spirit when Jesus believed on them, but the Spirit came on them in power, and Acts chapter 2, with tongues of fire, and it was on the day of Pentecost. Now, some people say, well, yeah, that's that's not a good, you can't use that as an example of somebody getting the baptism of the Spirit after they're a believer because that was the first time it was given. Okay, I'll give you that one. Let's just set that one aside. What we want to do is we want to look at what Scripture teaches. What is there? Is there a precedence for somebody getting it all at once? Or... Are they separate? That's what we want to look at this morning, okay? So Acts chapter 2, they're already believers. They receive the Spirit. Now, again, they were breathed on by Jesus to receive the Spirit, but the Spirit came on them in power in Acts chapter 2. This one was before the ascension. This one was after the ascension. So there was a difference between being breathed on and receiving the Spirit and the Spirit coming on them in power. You cannot be saved without the Spirit being on you. Romans uh, six or eight is very clear. You, you, you do, you're you, not his if the spirit of Christ is not within you. When we are born again, we receive the spirit in the born again experience. He is in us. That he sets up residence in our spirit. First Corinthians chapter six says, he who is joined to the spirit becomes one with him in spirit. Our spirit becomes enmeshed with the Holy Spirit. He comes to reside within us. So much so that many passages uh, there's, there's arguments among scholars. Is this talking about the human spirit, the, the converted human spirit, or is this the Holy Spirit? And there, some will put a big S and some will put a big little S. Because why? Because it doesn't matter. We are one with him in spirit. He resides within us. But there is a difference between him coming in me and setting up shop, sitting down in my heart and looking up my eyeballs and living within me. And there's a difference between him being in me and me being in him. Now I alluded to that last week, and I want to encourage you: look into that. There's there's a there's a difference between being the spirit being in you as a resident and you being in the spirit. The baptism, uh, the word baptism is baptizo. It's the first time we see this phrase show up in ancient literature. It was actually in a pickle recipe. You shall receive power when you are pickled in the Holy Spirit. You go, you, it was submerged and came out different. A cucumber can never go back. You know, once it's in, it becomes a pickle. It can go, cannot go back to pickledum or cucumber so it, it has to do with immersion. It was also used of dyeing cloth. It was submerged so that it was saturated. That's the idea. Uh, it, you know, the, the, that cucumber was, it's, it was literally changed by being submerged in this solution. And so when we are baptized in the Spirit, we are in the Spirit. It's the difference between taking a drink of water that's in me and me taking a bath. I'm in the water. It's different. In one, I'm the container. The other one, I'm contained by it. It's my environment. And that's the difference. So Acts chapter 2, we see an example. But yes, let's pause on that and say, well, because this is the first time the Spirit was poured out in that manner, let's set that aside and see if there's a precedence for that to happen again. Acts chapter 8, it's known as the Samaritan Pentecost. It's interesting. The first one, it was a bunch of Jesus followers and the Jewish people that saw this. And they were pulled into this thing. And in Acts chapter 8, it was the Samaritans. They were known as half-breeds. The, 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 the Jewish people didn't hang around them because they had they looked it down on them as defiled blood. They were half they had intermarried, but they had Jewish blood. And the Spirit came upon them in uh, in chapter 8. And what had happened is that They had gotten saved. They believed the word and the disciples heard and came and laid hands on them after the fact. They had been saved, baptized in water and then the disciples heard about it, came and laid hands on them, they received the spirit. So we see this distinction. The New Testament church didn't baptize people in water unless they were a believer. That was their initiation rite. They recognized they are now converts to Christianity but they didn't receive the baptism in the spirit until the disciples laid hands on them. Acts chapter nine. Uh, Acts chapter nine, if I remember right, is is Paul's Pentecost. Let me look at this here. Uh, Paul's Pentecost. Uh, Yes. Uh, So you remember when Paul, who was Saul at the time, Going, he, was, he was breathing out threats against the church. He was killing disciples. And he, get, he has this encounter, knocked to the ground, blinded, hears an audible voice. Everybody's freaked out. Uh, they hear the voice. They didn't see the bright light. And so now Paul, Paul says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> You're Lord. I just don't know who you are. You're in charge. That's what he was saying. You're in charge, whoever you are, but I'd like to know who you are. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You're not just persecuting my church. You are, when you touch them, you touch me. And it was this sovereign encounter where this man breathing out threats against the church gets his life rocked and they have to lead him and for three days he doesn't eat or drink anything. I mean, this guy is freaked out. He has built his life on opposing from the word of God, the move of God. And he is sure. They say that Paul, by the time he was 21, had the equivalent of probably two PhDs. He was a brilliant man. He was a very learned man. And he was convinced until he had an encounter. And you can imagine, he's processing some things. And then Ananias has an encounter with the Lord and says, go lay hands on him. He said, Lord, I've heard of this guy. He's killing people. Lord says, just go. I've already told him, you know, he's had an encounter with me and he lays hands and he said, the Lord Jesus, whom you met on the road, told me to come and laid hands on him and he received the spirit. Doesn't say what happened in that whole scenario. We know Paul did speak in tongues and operate in spiritual gifts and all that later on. Matter of fact, Paul was a Southern boy because he said, I speak in tongues more than y'all more than you all. Anyway, okay. I know. Hey, dad jokes, right? Okay, so uh, Acts chapter 10, the Gentile Pentecost. Uh, This one, Peter's preaching to the Gentiles, so now we're taking it away further. The first one was Jewish believers and disciples of Jesus were baptized in the Spirit. Then we have Samaritans, those that were considered half-breeds, then we have a persecutor's Pentecost. Now we have Gentiles, people that the, 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 the disciples still didn't think were candidates to be believers. Thank God they were wrong. <laughs> That's why we're here, most of us. So Peter has this encounter. He, he Well, there's a guy, Cornelius. He has, a, a, he has an encounter with an angel that shows up, and he's terrified. He's a Roman centurion, and the, the, this angel shows up to him and says, your offerings and your prayers have caused God to take notice of you. Isn't that fascinating? Your prayers, he was very sincere, groping after God, but he said, your offerings to the poor have also brought you before God's attention. Your giving can bring you to God's attention because you're catching God's heart. And see, the scripture says where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so it's indicative. It's not, it's, it he can't, you can't buy your way into God's presence. But if it's an expression of your heart, he was giving and it caused his heart to be invested. And, and the angel said, it's just a fascinating thing to me. And he said, send for this guy named Peter. Told him where he's at. So he's freaked out. He cuts some of his guys, sends them. Meanwhile, Peter's up on the roof. He's spending some Tom Thor. He goes into a vision. And he sees these an- unclean animals that he's never ate. There's a little shrimp dancing up there. A little Long John Silver advertisement happening in the air. And he said, oh, no, I'd never go to Long John Silver. Okay. Yeah, that was a bad choice. Okay. I've ne- give me a good... I don't know, Outback shrimp plate. He saw it dancing up there, you know, and uh, I don't know some of you are, you guys are food snobs. I can feel it in here. So anyway, he he says, he sees this food. He said, Lord, I would never eat that. None of that food has ever passed my lips. And the Lord says, Don't call unclean what I call clean. And everybody that loves seafood says, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And so and likes hams. So then. Just then, there's a knock on the door, and the Lord says to him, because he, it says he's pondering, what did this vision mean? And there's a knock on the door, and it said, there's three men downstairs. Go to them. I sent them to you. I've got a job for you to do. So he goes on, and he says, hey, uh, the Lord told me you're coming. What's up? And they tell him this angel shows up, so he goes, and he gets there, and he says to him, now, you know, usually we wouldn't hang around with people like you, but the Lord told me not to call you unclean. I'm thinking, wow, what a way to make friends and influence people, right? And it says, while he was preaching, he didn't even get done with the service. He didn't even give the altar call for salvation. The Spirit comes on them and they begin to speak in tongues. They got the whole deal right there. And then we have Acts 19, where you have these believers that only understood a part and Paul instructed them, laid hands on them, and they receive the Spirit. And so, can you receive The baptism in the Spirit at salvation? Absolutely. Once you're saved, it is yours for the taking. It's legally yours. You see, the Father gave the Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But it's the Son who gives the Spirit. John explicitly lays that responsibility at Jesus' feet. He said, Jesus, the one coming after me, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. The Father gave the Son, and the Son gives the Spirit. And then the Spirit gives us to the world to bring people back to the Father. And if I was a singer, I'd start singing, it's the circle of life. The Father sent the Son, the Son, yeah, Amy, go for it. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Yeah, I told you, she just on... The Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit sends us into the world because Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. There is an internal release of power for holiness and an external release of power to be a witness. The holiness churches, the, the old time Methodists, the Nazarene, the you know the, the holiness denominations they looked at the baptism in the Holy Spirit as empowerment to live holy. And the Pentecostal denominations, the the ones that emphasized the gifts of the Spirit more and and uh, missions and all that, they emphasize it to be a witness. Which one is right? Uh huh. It's both. Romans eight says it's by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Acts 1 says you will receive power and become a witness. So it's the power to live the holy life, but it's also power to be a witness. And so I ask you, have you received the Spirit since you've believed? And if you're unsure, you probably have not. Now, if you're a believer, the Spirit dwells within you. But I'm talking about him coming upon you. There's a difference between the indwelling spirit and the mantle of anointing that comes on a person to be a witness. Those are two separate things. Bill Johnson has this phrase I've heard him use many times and I appreciate it. He says, he's in me for myself, he's on me for others. There's the indwelling Christ that I learned to live in communion with him. And as I grow in him, I have a greater capacity to live from him and with him. But he comes upon us for ministry the anointing on us for to be a witness, the anointing on us to empower us. And it's tied to that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 expression because we're baptized in the spirit, into the body. And the reason we see that verse show right up in the middle of all this teaching on spiritual gifts is because that is how your spiritual, that 1 Corinthians 12 spiritual gift is activated through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You got the Ephesians 4 gifts from Jesus. We avail ourselves to them by honoring their ministries and sitting under their ministries. We've got the Romans 12 gifts that we can enjoy from one another and functioning in our own lives from the Father, but the ones from the Spirit come are activated. That's why you don't see those uh, manifestation gifts Tongues, interpretation, healing, discerning of spirits, miracles. Uh, all those, you don't see that body of supernatural gifts showing up in churches that don't emphasize the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, they may emphasize it differently. And you know what? God will honor our faith even when our theology isn't correct. And I know that by experience. That, that is not a condescending Uh, remark against other churches. I'm saying I can verify by personal experience God will honor faith even when we have our theology messed up. Because there's things that I've had to correct in my own preaching in the last five years and five years from now I'll probably have to do the same. Don't worry, I'll tell you what they are. But the fact is you can have the indwelling spirit but not have had him come upon you in power. And God wants to baptize you, immerse you, submerge you in his power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus said. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.